Welcome to Gleaming the Tube, the podcast where Kevin and Mike watch a film in which somebody rides a skateboard at some point. Finally, a podcast where people talk about movies. Hello, Michael. Hello, Kevin. We are (laughs) discussing 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles motion picture. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) A martial arts superhero film directed by Steve Barron. It's uh, based on the underground comic book by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. And it's something. It was something else. It, it, it carried a lot of that uh, first Tim Burton Batman energy. That would make sense because it came out, I guess, the year after that. And Batman was so big. It's probably why I, I think this was a co-production between New Line Cinema and Golden Harvest. They decided to release this out into the world. I will note this up until the Blair Witch Project, which came nine years later, this was the most successful independent film ever made. I, uh, I, I saw that myself in doing my research and was like, wait, I had to like read that twice. I was like, is that true? Yeah, this, I mean, I think this had a, a very tiny budget and wound up making like 300 something million dollars. It certainly is like a concept that's exactly perfect for its target market audience. You know, I remember seeing the, 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 you know, the, the indie comic book when it first came out and thinking like, even just the, the name Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was sort of like the, the, the exact kind of thing that young boys of a certain age like to say out loud. There's like a tactile quality to remember, you know, to knowing the whole title and everything. I do think it hits some primal part of kids of a certain age in a weird way. And one of the things I do like about conceptually about the Ninja Turtles is that it really was two dudes in a garage came up with it, printed 3000 copies of a comic book and wound up making millions off of it. Right. That was the, that was, I got a real sense of joy when I was reading about that myself, like, like, wow, like that could have been any two idiot friends throwing silly ideas back and forth. And they just struck this like perfect. It's like, it's got ninjas and pizza and nuclear waste. (laughs) Well, especially considering in the 1930s, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster also created Superman in a garage and could not have been fucked over more right? by the big corporation they wound up working with. And these guys just were at the helm for pretty much everything, right? I think they, they eventually cashed out, but I think they cashed out in a way that neither one felt like they got the short end of any kind of stick here. I was also really impressed by, again, I, you know, I, I was just really impressed by how many different like iterations – the, the the franchise has had you know like from indie comic book to a to an animated series to a second animated series that lasted like seasons and seasons and then all the toys and the, the, there's like been three different movie franchises and there's still currently another cartoon version of the show like it's just 
it just it's like evergreen. I feel like every couple of years as a new group of kids are like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, especially since there's stuff in the original comic that I think has gone through all these iterations that is basically like dumb jokes at the expense of Frank Miller Daredevil comics from the early 80s. Like how Daredevil's uh, sensei was called Stick. So the rat sensei is called Splinter. And the ninja clan and daredevil is the hand so the ninja turtles fight the foot clan so all right that's really i that's really interesting because i rem, i i thought to myself while i was watching the movie why the foot like i thought i was wondering if that was like an arcane reference to something and it turns out that it is yeah it's it's a it's a very obvious parody joke for frank miller daredevil comics from the early 80s fantastic i re, i always remember when i was a kid i i remember renting like American Ninja and watching that movie. And then the next day ninjas were everywhere. There was a ninja magazine that I could buy at the little newsstand down the street from my house. And it was, you know, like one day there were no ninjas. And then the next day, so many ninjas. Ninjas everywhere. I would rent any piece of shit movie that had the word ninja in the title. Revenge of the Ninja, Enter the Ninja, Ninja 3, The Domination Master Ninja. Master Ninja is just two episodes of a short-lived TV series called The Master, smushed together. Yes, I I learned that by watching that on Mystery Science Theater 3000. (laughs) And I also think, you know, the uh, the G.I. Joe toys and comic book really leaned into the ninjas are awesome thing, too, with Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. Snake Eyes, obviously the best G.I. Joe character ever. And Storm Shadow, the best member of Cobra. So perfect. And they're both ninjas. So yeah, the movie though, huh? <laughs> Gee. <laughs> this movie <Oof>. though. <laughs> I mean, I, I admit, like I had a good time watching it, you know? It was like there was a lot of there was a lot of plot points that didn't quite land all the way or whatever. But I mean, I I had a good time watching the movie, just sort of like be exist, I guess. Like, all right. I'm going to be honest, man. I did not have a good time watching this movie. This was a tough watch for me. I, uh, I, I mean, I think I, you know, I just sort of let it wash over me, Kevin. I just, uh, I had to break it up into bite-sized chunks. Be like, well, let me watch, let me try and get through another 15 minutes. <laughs> Would you say, Kevin, that you cut it up like a pizza? Into, Perhaps. Into slices. <laughs> but I did get through it. And I saw this movie like in the theater when it came out because it, you know, it was about Ninja Turtles. <laughs> right, it, was, it was 1990 and we were 14. And <laughs> I was perfectly happy with it then. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I, funnily, I don't, I didn't see it until many, many years later uh, and thought it was at least charming. And this time I watched it and I just thought, well, this uh, this is happening <laughs> right now. <laughs> this is certainly a thing that exists. This is certainly a thing that I'm watching on television right now. Uh, I, uh, I was pretty impressed by, I, I forgot, the guy who went on to be in Wet Hot American Summer. What's his name? Uh, I think you're thinking of Elias Cotillas as Casey Jones, yeah. who was not yeah. in Wet Hot American Summer. I think you're confusing him with Christopher Maloney. Really? Yeah. Huh. I am absolutely confusing him with Christopher Maloney. Elias Cotillas was the, he was kind of the shaved head punk rock dude in some kind of wonderful. Right. But wasn't he also on like a CSI-esque show himself? He was. I think he was on a show called Chicago PD. That's, I think that's possibly why I'm 
confusing the two. But either way, he certainly was throwing off some Breckenmeyer-esque vibes, was he not? Like, I remember thinking, like, oh, like, this is this is Breckenmeyer, like, based his character in Clueless on this guy. I'll say this for that performance. It was one of the only performances in the film that seemed like it was done by someone who knew how to be in a movie. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. He, he, he was like the pro he came in. He's like, I got this guy dialed in guys, just roll the camera and I'll provide you with magic. Yeah. And honestly, there's, I was surprised when I saw Sam Rockwell show up in a very small role as like the head thug. I was delighted by that. I was like, is that a young Sam Rockwell? And sure enough, it was He had like two lines. I had to check the credits, but he wasn't in it enough to really make a call of like, does this, you know, does, is this person acting as if he's in a movie? Whereas I thought that Cody has did like, wasn't great, but I thought it was, it was not distractingly bad. Unlike basically every other performance in this film. <laughs> it sure wasn't great. Again, I had fun watching it, but I think I had fun watching it be, just because I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to do this. I, I guess the main, the other main like human character would be April O'Neil, who was played by Judith Hogue, who had that kind of like USA up all night quality. She surely, that movie was filmed in its entirety. <laughs> there really isn't much to say about this movie, is there? <laughs> Honestly, I think there's quite a bit to say about this movie. <laughs> the voice cast is of the Turtles themselves, led by both Corey Feldman as Donatello, which I remembered him being in the movie. What I did not remember was Michelangelo was played by the great Robbie Wrist. Who is Robbie Wrist? Who is Robbie Wrist, Michael? I, I, I gotta be honest, I'm not sure who Robbie Wrist is. Uh, are you familiar with a show called The Brady Bunch? Oh, I sure am. Are you familiar with a cousin of theirs who showed up later who turned out to be a jinx? A, a, a bit of a, a bit of a, of a, of a, of a, a dark horse there, Oliver. If, if I'm not mistaken, yes, cousin Oliver himself was the voice of Michelangelo. Wow, I am, I am astounded by that news. Wrist has been in some other really great stuff over the years. He was in uh, the cartoon Kid Video. Was his performance in that irresistible, Kevin? My, my apologies. <laughs> in the late 70s, he was in a show called Big John, Little John, where he was like a little kid who could turn into a weird middle-aged man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that sounds like a concept that's got a lot of mileage. <laughs> it didn't last that long. Weird. But <laughs> what do you know about that? There's another notch on, on wrist's belt buckle. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so he was the voice of Michelangelo. I was delighted to see that he was in this movie. Feldman, um, I feel like they gave Feldman as Donatello a lot of the the real like rimshot lines. Well, I think he was the pro. Yeah, I mean, he was he was still kind of a name then. If he wasn't still headlining movies, it was a very short time since he had been. I think like License to Drive was what like eighty seven. Dream a little dream came out. I wonder if there's any skateboarding in License to Drive <laughs> now, now that we're. It seems like there would be. It seems like there could be. I mean, there's a little bit of skateboarding in this movie. Yeah, very little. Both the turtles, the turtles skateboard at certain points, partly for amusement and partly in the middle of a big fight scene. There's also skateboarding in 
the the shredder and the foot clan have like an underground lair that's basically filled with like video games and kids smoking and playing pool and it's got a big kind of I don't know if it's necessarily a skate ramp, but it's like a skateboarding. It, it looks exactly like what a, a set designer would make if somebody asked them to build like a a cool skateboarding deck. But you could tell there wasn't a lot of skateboarders input into what it should be like, because it's sort of like a, a raised slalom course. Um, I was really excited to find out, Kevin, that the the person mainly responsible for the skateboarding stunts in the film was a, a name I hadn't heard in years, a kid named Reggie Barnes, a pretty successful freestyle skateboarder in the 80s and 90s, but went on to to establish uh, a mail order skateboarding supply company called Eastern Skateboard Supply, which is like the, the Sears and Roebuck of skateboard supply companies, like massive when you got the skate, the Eastern skateboarding supply catalog in the mail, it was like a, you know, it was like the, it was like the Christmas catalog from Sears. And I was really, really chuffed to find out that that guy was the guy who was my, he also did stunt work in blue velvet, which made me wonder if there's skateboarding in blue velvet <laughs> or if he's just, or if he just did a stunt. I don't, I, I watched blue velvet relatively recently. I don't think there is skateboarding in blue velvet because I, I now take note of any time there's skateboarding in any. Right. Yeah. Now I've got a constant lookout, but anyway, yeah. Reggie Barnes, who would have thought I, you know, in doing this podcast, you know, my favorite part is like looking up the stunt skaters and figure out who they are. And to see the name Reggie Barnes, I was like, wow, I haven't thought about that guy in, 25 years and there he was the skateboarding on that ramp it looks like the kids are having fun they're not they're not doing a lot of elaborate tricks that foot clan headquarters strikes me as like the most fun place ever right it's like you're a runaway kid and you get to go to a place where you can like drink cokes all night and play cards and play pool and play video games and ride your skateboard and it reminded me of like pleasure island from pinocchio i kept expecting all the kids to turn into donkeys but it was funny, as I was watching that scene, I was like, oh, man, like, whoever built that skate ramp, it certainly looked cool, and it was all, like, you know, raised up on, like, scaffolding. But I I, I, I was watching it thinking, like, man, that does not look very fun to skate. <laughs> Frankly, it looked a little dangerous. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at those stunts, and also, like, one of the things I found disappointing in this film was generally, if you watch a film with the word ninja in the title, you want kick-ass fight scenes and i thought the fight scenes in this movie were not that hot i mean mostly because they're being done by people in latex turtle costumes right right well and so it's funny that i thought almost the exact opposite i thought to myself like considering that these guys are wearing these like heavy latex turtle costumes they're they've got a lot of freedom of movement like there were backflips being done and sweet jumps of all of all uh of all stripe I also, you know, it was funny. I was watching it thinking it seemed like because they live in the tunnels and the sewers that are basically like full pipes, it seemed like there should have, it was like a missed opportunity for more skateboarding. I almost felt like there should have been a whole Police Academy 4-esque montage of them like skating through the sewers and pulling sweet airs, you know, in the, in the, in the deep recesses of the city. Turtles teaming up with the Bones Brigade. But yeah, to no to no avail. There was just a a little bit of a kick turn, and uh, I think he does whack somebody with a skateboard at one point. So here's a question: 
And I'm going to set this up by going off on a little bit of a tangent. When I was around the age, like maybe a little bit younger than 1990, the college radio station near my house, WJMF, out of uh, Bryant College, which is now Bryant University, had like a late night punk rock show called Moshing with a Meatball that I listened to religiously because it was like the only radio show I found that would play that music. So I would like call in every week. And I remember one week, the hosts who were named Storkin Bates were complaining about the band Gangrene. They got a request for Gangrene. And I I remember this as if like vividly in my head. One of them said, you know, well, Gangrene are getting kind of lame in the skate rat scene. And then the other one went Ninja Turtles. And I thought that was, A, I thought that was like hilarious for reasons I couldn't quite articulate. And B, I am now wondering, was there some kind of Ninja Turtle connection with the skate rat scene? I think it was more, if there was a connection, it was way more about when it was an indie comic. I, you know, and I don't think that like skater kids were clamoring to see the movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, I think maybe the only connection is that a lot of, you know, they, they were, they all did have skateboards, I believe, in the cartoon. But I don't, yeah, I don't know what, what that would have to do with gangrene. <laughs> that's, very, that's a little confusing. I mean, I think, you know, certainly uh, the, the, the sort of that almost like caricature version of a skater dude, like Cowabunga dude was, was well established by that point. But I don't, I don't think there was a lot of discussion of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles going on in skateboarding as a whole, <laughs> at least not that I recall. That was, that was, it's something that I've been wondering for the past 35 years or whatever. That is a, yeah, it's a strange, that's a strange dot to connect, I guess. Like, I'm not sure what gangrene has to do with, I mean, they were kind of like a, you could call, you could have probably considered them like a skate rock band. But yeah, maybe, maybe the, the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing was like a call to how they, that's cartoonish and lame, but I, I'm not sure. Stork and Bates, if you're listening to this, <laughs> the Facebook page is gleaming the tube. Please weigh in. Provide us with some answers, guys. Let's, we, 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 the, the people want to know. They're probably like hedge fund managers now, but sure, sure. Getting very upset about this GameStop. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's set the world ablaze. So another note I have here is that the jokes are both poorly written and poorly delivered. Yeah, yeah. Nothing really lands. Everything kind of, you know, it's it's one of those movies, you know, it's it's funny that, you know, I, I conflated it a little earlier with uh, with Tim Burton's original Batman and that, the, you know, the, the whole thing has this sort of claustrophobic feel that it's absolutely filmed on a soundstage. Nobody's ever really outside. But, you know... Well, yeah, watching the movie, everything just sort of, it's like there's a lot of setup and very little payoff. You know, April and Casey Jones have an argument and storm off and Don Donatello will say something like, it's kind of like moonlighting, isn't it? Which is not a good joke and he delivers it poorly. Right. And I, I, I was, I will admit that I was delighted by the reference to moonlighting, but thought it sounded like the beginning of a joke that never ended. I <laughs> I would say like, I didn't get the same vibes as you like so closely with the 89 Batman. And I don't really think the 89 Batman is that great a movie, 
but I do like the production design of it, which, cause I feel like that's like very considered in terms of creating this like artificial art deco German expressionist vision of what a city of like what Gotham city would be. I felt like with this, they were trying to create like what the popular imagination of New York in the eighties would be as like a dangerous place where, you know, crazy things can happen. Right. I, I also, I also got kind of a, 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 a an Oliver Twist sense of things with all the kids pickpocketing and stealing television sets. Yeah, you only really get to know one of these kids who's like the son of April's boss at the TV station where she's a reporter. And he's wearing this uh, kind of unfortunate Sid and Nancy t-shirt and has like a change of heart midway through to save Splinter. Splinter, by the way, was voiced by Kevin Clash, who was uh, the voice of Elmo for a long time. Really? Yes. Like the original Elmo or? Yes, the original Elmo. Huh. I was unaware that there was an original Elmo. The the kind of animatronic designs of like the Turtles and Splinter were done by the Jim Henson workshop. I think it was one of the last things Jim Henson's workshop work, uh, did before Henson passed away. Like when Splinter kind of first showed up, I was kind of like, this looks like a Chuck E. Cheese animatronic effect. Right. Well, like, yeah, it was like there was a person, but then the head was animatronic. And yeah, everything seemed heavy and clumsy. But as it went on, honestly, like that was one of the things that worked for me a little bit more for its time or the kind of turtle splinter effects. I didn't get why at the end when they're facing the shredder, they all decide they decide to like attack the shredder one at a time. Like, well, I'll go. It's like there's four of you, right? Well, I, and it's funny because I was I was thinking the same thing, and it was it was that I you know uh, Splinter kept saying there was something missing, and I thought that what we were going to discover was missing was them working as a team to 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 to, to conquer the Shredder, and I, I was it was the same thing I was watching like why are you guys waiting and attacking one at a time when together you are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's a strange choice. Maybe they only had one person who could do stunts in the turtle costume. So here's a question. Sure. Do you have a favorite turtle? Uh, I think I I was, I always really liked those little mini sword things called size. So whoever, whoever has those, the little, he loses one at the very beginning of the movie. Is that why? That would be Raphael. I, I think it's Raphael. I think I like Raphael. Yeah, I mean he's cool but rude, so I could see I could see why. Yeah, I remember I like a couple like a year or two ago, the like the, one of the little kids across the street was talking, wanted to talk to me about the Ninja Turtles, and I asked him, "Do you have a favorite turtle?" And he said, "Yeah, Leonardo's my favorite turtle." And I was like, "Come on, Raphael, kid," which uh, in retrospect was kind of a weird thing to yell at a. <laughs> you're wrong <laughs> now who's the angsty one i think Raphael's the angsty one is that is Raphael the angsty one yeah like michael uh like leonardo's the leader with the blue headband yeah i can't believe i know this much about the fucking uh, get in there man donatello is uh the purple one and he was voiced by feldman and usually donatello's sort of like the inventor kind of sciencey one but in this movie, they kind of leaned into him being more of a jokester, I think. Sure. I, I think to play on Feldman's strengths as a performer. It's that Feldman energy. Michelangelo is the most well-rounded, if you will. He's like a teenager. He's like a ninja. He's a turtle. He's a mutant. Like, Michelangelo is like 
the quintessential teenage mutant ninja turtle i would say he's the whole package yeah he but he's the one who's really into pizza and goes like i love being a turtle and Raphael's kind of the angsty wolverine type who you know storms off on his own and gets into solo adventures and i, I was always partial to Raphael. angsty wolverine <laughs> that was fantastic <laughs> this is why i didn't date a lot in high school <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, I'm like, even, even I'm like, all right, so uh, I got to go. <laughs> so it's funny, Kevin, it seems like once again, our, our review of the film is kind of split down the middle where you did not like the movie very much. And I uh, found myself actually enjoying it uh, <laughs> somewhat in spite of how terrible it actually is. I think so. Like I would not say to someone that I liked, you should watch the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from 1990. Like, I didn't even show it to my kids. I was sort of like, you don't deserve this, kids. I love you too much. The the, the last time I saw the film was uh, uh, my co-worker when I worked at a, at a tattoo shop in Providence called Federal Hill Tattoo uh, had acquired all three movies on like a three DVD set and decided one on like a, a sleepy Sunday that he was going to just play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies all day. And I remember uh, by the third one becoming enraged <laughs> and, and, and like begging him to turn it off because it was just, it was just too much Ninja Turtle. So, uh, so shout out to Dave Magma for, make me want to stab him in the face with a pen <laughs> by the time we got to the third, uh, by the third Ninja Turtles movie. That's sad. And there's so many other things you could be watching at the tattoo shop. I remember one day, like having a wonderful time, just hanging out at the tattoo shop with you, watching all the Clint Eastwood orangutan movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, those movies were a, a popular, uh, uh, a popular view because of the the biker gang and the main guy had a spider tattooed on his stomach. And that was one of the things that inspired Bob Gowdy to, to want to get a bunch of tattoos when he was a kid. So we would watch it all the time and marvel at the spider tattoo on the guy's stomach. Uh, see, it just inspired me to want to become a truck driver and have a pet orangutan. <laughs> you, you really couldn't ask for mu- uh, much better of a life, Kevin. Bare knuckle boxing matches. Maybe not so much that, but driving around in a truck with an orangutan, hell yeah. Uh, I I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the rap song that plays over the closing credits by Partners in Crime. It's possible that this rap song at the end of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is worse than the rap song at the end of Police Academy 4. I I think you may have something there. It was fantastic astounding i listened to the whole thing it felt to me like it was made by people who had never heard rap music but it had rap music described to them in minute detail and then we're told create a rap song well it's sort of it's sort of funny that that you there's a lot of elements of this movie that you could describe exactly that way Almost like I, I almost feel the same way about the sort of the skateboarding sequence in the in the the the, the Foot Clan's hideaway. It was like somebody was described in great detail what a skateboard ramp looked like, and that's just sort of what they came up with, which was like not quite there, but close enough, <laughs> you know. 
I also thought it was interesting that when they order pizza in New York City, they order Domino's pizza. The turtles love an authentic New York slice. It's it's like when you think about New York City, you think about mutant ninja turtles living in the sewers, and you think about Domino's pizza, Kevin. We have a we have a pizza snob friend named Ted Rayo, and I'm just imagining him hanging out with the Ninja Turtles, them ordering Domino's and him like flipping his lid. We're three blocks away from one of the greatest pizza places in the world. They're like, cowabunga, dude. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Our website is gleamingthetube.net. We're on Facebook at Gleaming the Tube, Twitter and Instagram at Gleam the Tube, and our email is gleamingpod at gmail.com. Production assistance by Liam Gray. Music by Kissing Contest. Skateboarding is not a crime. So uh, I, I do have a, an interesting plug that's not really related to this topic. Uh, well, to the to the topic of the Ninja Turtles, but is related to skateboarding and movie directors. Um, there's an online skateboarding magazine called Jenkum Mag that uh, in the last couple of years has has done some kind of interesting stuff where they, you know, their, their perspective is like interviewing architects that design buildings that people eventually went on to like the skateboard and things like that, like kind of working outside of the usual parameters. And they did a really interesting zoom interview with Werner Herzog uh, where they kind of showed him a bunch of skateboarding and just sort of like asked him his opinion about it. And it's really cool and kind of touching that that he sort of seems like he like get, really gets the idea that skateboarding is sort of this like punishing uh, pastime that you know that can cause numerous injuries with very little reward. So if you want to check that out, I thought it's a very short little five minute segment they do with with Werner Herzog about skateboarding, and I thought that was really interesting. Oh, cool! I'll try and put a link to that on the webpage for this episode. So. If you go to gleamingthetube.net and click on the Ninja Turtle episode, we'll have a link to that.